namaste everyone and before we start we have to give you a upcoming good news and that is we are about to touch 6 lakh subscribers but of course we need your help uh, we are about uh, 600 short so why don't you just make up for that that is one and the second is that uh, we are uh, planning a big ghar wapsi program right here on this channel and with me I have three distinguished guests, of course, uh, the permanent guests for Wednesday 10 p.m. Shri Vibhuti Jha and two other guests. Can can we bring Vibhuti Ji and others on the screen, please? Yeah, they are. Namaste. The permanent guests for Wednesday 10 p.m. and Melissa Kapoor Ji and Shri Ayer for the first time on Jaipur Dialogue, of course. I have been on Sri Ayer's show a number of times, but Sri Ayer is on Jaipur Dialogues for the first time, and of course he has got uh, Capitol Hill in the background. So I guess uh, he is going to epitomize the American spirit. I hope he doesn't uh, confront us with manifest destiny. Uh, well, <laughs> so, <laughs> so let let me start with uh, Sri Ayer. okay uh, i find that elon musk is facing the same kind of phobia that is usually reserved for hindus in the united states and the west so can we adopt him as an honorary hindu or some such uh, thing and for temporarily of course i think uh, in in the longer run he he will go back to his conservative roots and they will start bashing hindus again Thank you, Sanjay Ji, for uh, inviting me to your channel. It's always a pleasure to be with uh, luminaries such as Vibhuti Ji and Marisa Kapoor Ji. Uh, to me, Elon Musk is uh, the latest generation of Steve Jobs in that he is able to run many companies simultaneously and successfully. I might add. Now, in this, I don't know how he is going to run Twitter. and um, he's born in south africa i think he came to the united states to study then he joined i think paypal which is where he made most of his money because paypal was acquired by ebay and from there he went on to found uh, tesla and and tesla he realized that uh, the key to the success of an electric vehicle is the minimum acceptable range and and that's the problem that he solved to me that was the one that made it possible for him to leapfrog everybody else that said now let's take a look at why he might have possibly uh, bought twitter um there are two reasons that i can think of one is that he feels that twitter is leaning so left that it is in danger of just falling on the on its side and and he wants to say okay no i want this to be a platform for everyone because as much as i can see i don't think elon musk has been like a a big donor to the republican party either i mean most silicon valleyites are you know they donate to both sides whoever wins and then that way they can say ah i donated to your campaign you know hedge their bets so to speak my take is that is the first one that he feels like it is gone one way too much and that since twitter is the political voice that's what most politicians use to express their thoughts also to interact with their constituents he may have thought that there is a need to see if i can buy this because this is a considerable amount of his fortune that he has put in this which means he sees an business angle also and from the business angle what i see sanjay ji is that today twitter is a fairly mature platform except that twitter has not been able to turn on the advertising model as successfully as say perhaps a facebook has been able to do or youtube has been able to do so that would be one place that he would want to address and by taking something private he can look inside and see what are the dead wood that twitter is carrying get rid of all that also probably put an attitude adjustment to the employees who i feel are confused between their professional responsibilities and obligations and their personal political ideology and when this the ideology you know comes in the way of your professionalism then 
a, a software such as social media takes a big hit. So let us say that he's going to do that, then he can very well clean up Twitter and then take it back public at a much higher price. And this 44 billion that he is putting in might turn into 120 billion. Who knows? Right. And uh, Melissa Ji, how do you look at this? Good news for the Hindus? I think we were being bashed on Twitter a bit too much. Absolutely. Um, thank you for bringing it around to Hindus, which is my, my passion, um, because I do see this as an opportunity uh, for Hindus, um, an opportunity to sow the seeds for new narratives. Um, and importantly, I think the central narrative that we should be trying to build through potentially this opportunity and any other opportunities for free speech that might arise in the future is Hindu genocide. Get the world understanding that Hindus have been facing genocide for the last thousand years and um, building a narrative around that that protects Hindus, uh, protects them from discrimination, from hate crimes, in a similar way to, you know, um, how um, awareness of what has happened to the Jewish community has, you know, is providing protection for Jews. But before we can, you know, launch into um, uh, setting these new narratives, we need to be getting some basics right. And so um, some of the basics or the most important basics I feel are to do with the English language. Because if we don't get the basics right around um, how we are presenting Hindus to the world, now that we potentially have an opportunity to shape new narratives, um, we can actually be doing more harm than good. Because la language is really crucial to this problem of Hindu phobia, Hindu hatred, because um, the West controls the evolution of the English language. And obviously the major media operates in the English language and the world's narratives are constructed in the English language. And in India inherited the English language ultimately as a tool used by the British Raj to control and manipulate Indians. So I give the, the example of the word, let's say the word gravy my toes always curl when my husband asks me for more gravy because gravy only means one thing to me as a you know a native westerner and that is the sauce you put on your roast beef on a sunday and so i know obviously in india the word gravy it means any type of sauce you know to me it's just the word sauce um, but it really makes me wonder if this was some sick joke <laughs> connived by the british raj to uh, make fun and to insult Hindus without them even really knowing it. Um, and there are so many of these sort of misuses of the English language that I feel really causes a lot of damage for the Hindu cause. So, you know, talking about the Itihas as mythology, mythology means made up. Mysticism, to me, mysticism means weird, voodoo, ghosts, black magic, and really scary connotations that fit really well with, you know, the film I saw when I was maybe, you know, six, seven years old that shaped how I viewed India and Hindus, which was from the Indiana Jones um, and the Temple of Doom movie where you see them eating monkey brains and things. So the word Hindu phobia, I know many Hindus dislike the word Hindu phobia because they say, well, what reason is there to be afraid of Hindus? But actually, um, you know, I agree, there is no reason to be scared of Hindus, but actually Westerners, many of them do have a fear because of how it's being portrayed. There is the, the sense of fear of Hindus, but there's also like, um, a humor around it. It's almost like a ridiculousness. And this stems obviously from the Abrahamic faiths where anything to do with worshiping mortis, idols, um, polytheism, it's all seen as ridiculous. So that's where this sort of humorous angle comes in. It's something that's not to be respected. Um, and so, you know, words like Hindu phobia, I actually feel it's quite a good word. Um, Hindu hate, I think that's another good word. Um, but Hindu Indonesia, maybe. The horizon. Um, um, and I just want to say that I feel that we have to be careful with that word because we should be we should speak to be understood, not to be misunderstood and blurring the waters. Okay, Vibhuti ji, you can have a go. Uh, I I can have a go, but go where? I'm taking the cue from uh, uh, Sriji, and I'm I'm very happy to see him here, Sanjay ji. <laughs> Him because a few weeks ago we were talking about and I had invited yes, him to come on the show. So glad to see you here. And Melissa, this is the first time I'm meeting you 
face to face. So that's great. But I will take the cue from the two elements which both of you talked about. Elon Musk is definitely as much after the money part of it as a business decision to acquire Twitter, as much as he is about the free speech part. And he has made a public statement in that regard that uh, all my haters, please be there, don't leave. So he wants to make sure that just because you criticize me, I'm not going to banish you, which was happening. Even I got locked in for 24 hours <laughs> because I questioned a very hateful Hindu. So, 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 actually, it was your revenge then, you know? Yeah, That's you, right. You, I, I, I tweeted. the Twitter guys. Yes, I, I tweeted also that I hope Elon Musk succeeds. And I think Brahma said Tathastu, you know, Shivji said Tathastu, oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was taken, he has done it. And it will be an element of free speech. Look at what he has said later on. He totally disapproved Twitter banning the entire story on Trump Jr. fiasco that it happened. The, the financial controller who initiated the ban and whatever she was doing, she was crying in her speech. Parag Agarwal. Ah, Vijaya Gadde, you mean? Vijaya Gadde. Yes, yes, the, yes, yes, yes. The architect of uh, all Hindu hate. And then, and then we had Parag Agarwal who, who told his employees that their future is uncertain. He could not guarantee that. So there is a meltdown. There is definitely a concern. So it's like my billionaire, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Elon Musk is a filthy billionaire who takes over a company. But my billionaire takes over, it's okay. You know, that's, that's the scenario which the left is getting exposed with. It's a very interesting scenario that has happened. And I, I also said that at last, the third law of physics began to take shape and is begun to happen. The reaction has happened just the other day. There was a, 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 a one of the uh, you know Treasury Ministry of uh, Trump, who is always on uh, CNBC. He say he told Charles Payne, "Why not we take over Facebook? Payne are going to organize some people to take over Facebook, and I'll get you people who will be funding that." So you are now seeing resistance build. Coming to the second part of what Melissa just said, uh, you know that. Hindu thing part of it. It's very important for us Hindus to be aware of one critical element. We always are apathetic in terms of our reaction. We are always reacting to something others do. And now we know it is it's bleeding obvious that the entire world is attacking us, particular group of people are in sync in attacking us. That's what is important. It's time for us to get coordinated and respond and be proactive in our response. It's very, very important for us to do that because if we don't, we forget our status. We are actually an authentic minority in the world matters. We may be a majority in India, but globally, Hindus are a minority. In every community that we are there as NRIs or non-resident Indians, we are a minority. We have not learned the art of seeking minority protection even in the United States. On the contrary, we are, you know, on the contrary, we are becoming victims of our own success. And these are the stories that we need to address that, that we have to be, you know, my, my favorite theme is that knowing what we know now, we have to be risk intelligent, risk ready, and risk aware. All the three things have to be responded to collectively in a manner that apathy goes aside. And I'm very happy that technologies are now allowing us to get to know these things and react positively to the whole process. Okay, so Shri, just, uh, you know, taking you to the other aspect of this whole situation, this uh, Hindu phobia, Hindu misia, and uh, what is also very, very pertinent is the regime change industry in the United States that drives a whole lot of this. And in that sense, Twitter going away from the hand of the leftist should be a relief, don't you think? Yes, it is. And uh, one of the things that I was aghast was initial days. Like I, I joined Twitter in 2013 or 2014. Probably a little bit of a latecomer because many people joined, I believe, around 
2009 and 2010, that's when it really took off. And what I noticed was I did grow briskly and then suddenly it's like I got lumped with one set of people, all of whom got shadow banned. I mean, my follower count is at 28K for the longest time. And my P Gurus, which is the, the brand, that also has kind of topped off at 40,000. One is verified, the other is not verified. So it is not that verified tick is going to make my life any easier. So what I'm surprised is that there were people with five followers and 10 followers under a certain Twitter India head who I shall not name. Um, they were getting blue ticks left, right and center. And the only thing common was they were Hindu haters. They were showing distinct Hindu phobia and they happened to be from a certain state which thought that it did not, it was special. You guys can make up, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to needlessly yeah, give some names. And make I actually more. lost my blue tick, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the thing about getting ahead of a story, unfortunately, everyone here sharing the same thought that we are reactive rather than proactive. And you'll get proactive when we start actively participating in the political process of the country that we have chosen as home. Now, let's take a look at the Indian Americans who are representing Hindus in the Congress and Senate. You know, the Vice President, Kamala Ayer Harris, doesn't even take oath on Gita. She takes oath on two Bibles. I say, okay, fine. You, you really, really like your Bible? Do it. But at least one Gita? I mean, she's half Hindu. So that shows you that they don't think very much about the contribution of in Hindu Americans. Either that or they think that no matter what, you know, Hindu Americans will dem vote Democrat anyway. The other ones, Raja Krishnamurti has been okay, okay, until he also voted with uh, Ilhan Omar in this Islamophobia bill. And, and I don't really have very good opinion about Pramila Jaipal or Rokana. Both are ambitious beyond their capacity. I don't think they have done enough to kind of warrant the kind of places that they want to lead in the party. Uh, they need to really prove themselves. And, and what I see is one person shows existential angst every time she takes the podium and the other person tries to, is still confused about Hinduism and Hindutva, except that he will use his grandfather's name as the freedom fighter to get the votes. So Rokhana, I think, is going to have a tough time this time. We'll see how it plays out. For sure, Raja Krishnamurti, I think, may not make it to 2022, which means that one genuine, well, I wouldn't say genuine, but better of the lot may not make it. So we'll have to start all over again, push the reset button. And now I'm hoping that some from the GOP, Hindu American candidates, will go into the political stream. Certainly Kamala Harris is not what, the one that I knew is not like this. So somewhere something has happened. She has basically laid at the political altar her Hindu American credentials. I don't know, maybe she will pick them up. I have no idea. But I hope that she does. She does have a good head on her shoulders. Unfortunately, that doesn't show from her statements and from her, you know, whatever persona that has been projected so far. That's my two cents, my friend. I hope you know that uh, Vibhuti ji is uh, contesting on the Republican ticket for the New York State Assembly. All the best, Vibhuti ji. What is the demographic? Unfortunately, just like in India, where you do, you know, Bimaru and this and that, I have to ask you, how's your demography? Uh, demography is obviously, I'm in the blue state, just as you are in the blue state. <laughs> so we are turning the tide here. Last election, you know, Republicans won Nassau County. Uh, we won many significant seats. And thanks to Biden, thanks to Ilan Omar, Thanks to AOC, who are taking the party to the extreme left. I'm happy about that. So our odds are good. Uh, odds are good. Although I'm, I live in a community that has abundantly blue, but I have my neighboring uh, constituency of mine. Constituency of mine is Great Lake, which is predominantly Republican. So it is going to be a good fight. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, you know, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I have a chance. 
God's grace. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, I have a chance. Yeah. I, 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 my my platform, P Guru's platform, is open for you, Ibutiji. I've always given uh, you know the space for uh, congressional candidates to express themselves. I'll be more than happy to give you you know more, uh, a periodic chat where you want to weigh in on a particular policy or an idea. Feel free to just call me and uh, we can set up something and we can just keep going. So Perfect all the best time. to you, Ibutiji. Thank you very much. Yeah. Offer accepted. Thank you very much. Yes. yes. Offer accepted. Okay. One deal made uh, on Jaipur Dialogues <laughs> and recorded. So, now we come back to Melissa Ji. Melissa Ji, we are talking about Hindu Mesia and we talked about uh, the Hindu Mesia that uh, Twitter represented. So, uh, from that point of view, it seems to be a relief. Today, we again saw, I, I don't know, I, I don't think you've seen that. That, that same old Hinduism versus Hindutva debate is sought to be pinned against the Hindus. And uh, it's exactly like what used to happen in the 19th century when the uh, Indians were accused of being uh, racist on the basis of a fictitious theory called the Aryan invasion theory. Now, they are being told that, okay, that you are... Uh, not following Hinduism, you are following Hindutva. So, how long are we going to take all these tropes from the West? Now, I think uh, we have, as you said, language is important. So, have you lately heard uh, Dr. S. Jayashankar speak to the West in their very own language so beautifully? Um, so, no, the, 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 the English that is used in India um, is absolutely... Um, completely confusing to people in the West. And the understanding of what Hindus are as a result is completely confused. And in many ways, I feel that this leads to, firstly, the problem that many Westerners, um, they have no tools with which to differentiate Hindus from Muslims. Because from the Western perspective, sort of between the Middle East and China, it's all just a blur. If I'm being really frank here, um, and you're all kind of, and your people living there are all kind of the same. And here in the West, we know about Islam. We taught about it in school, but Hinduism. I never learned about Hinduism in school, partly because many Hindus are saying it's not a religion, so then it doesn't have to feature on the religious syllabus. Um, and so. People only know that the different religion is Islam, and so Hindus are bracketed in to that same melee, essentially. And unfortunately, that then means that um, the, um, the consequences of some of the crimes, the criminal activities, the rapes, um, the fact that uh, such a high percentage of Muslims, certainly in the UK, are living on the state benefits those same prejudices or those same um, feelings towards that population are then reflected onto Hindus because people don't see the difference between these two communities, even though Hindus in the UK are absolutely considered the model minority in terms of educational attainment, earnings, behavior, um, and lack of dependence on the state because of the tight-knit uh, family model. Um, and so, you know, they're these modern minorities, but they do face discrimination. They do face hate crimes. Um, for example, my husband, he's been thrown off a train. He's had his head smashed with a glass bottle. Um, and but one of the things that I find really quite worrying um, about this is that on paper, it looks as if Hindus do not face discrimination or hate crime because only 114 hate crimes against Hindus were reported per last year. Um, and obviously that just isn't true. If you just take the example of my husband, it's not true. Um, and I think one of the issues here is what we were, um, the ji was talking about and Sriji before about we are very reactive, not proactive because we have such a, an eagerness to please. Um, we have such, um, uh, we're so, Hindus are so deracinated um, partly because of the use of the English language, that even when they are facing discrimination and hate crimes, they either don't see it for what it is, or they don't care, essentially. Um, so, for example, um, there was a report published by the UK government, which showed that um, Hindus, um, 
reported at the same level uh, of prejudice that they felt that my ethnic minorities were experiencing in the UK as the white population. Whereas obviously the other ethnic minorities were, say, were seeing much greater discrimination. Hindus say, actually, we don't really see any discrimination in the UK society. And yet when a more targeted um, report was put out by the 1928 Institute, which is a spin out at Oxford University, 80% of that sample of Hindus um, said, we have experienced ourselves um, discrimination in the past five years. So there's this mismatch between what the general Hindu population in the UK perceives as going as you know, discrimination against themselves. And when you're targeting people who are sort of self-selected, people who are on social media and aware of um, you know, these think tanks and other groups that are trying to um, um, you know, do more for Hindu, the Hindu cause, there's this massive mismatch um, so it just shows that that wider British Hindu population, um, they just uh, they are almost brainwashed into not appreciating what it means to be Hindu, what it is to be Hindu. And these sayings of you know, Hinduism is not a religion, it's a way of life. All religions are the same. It has a mythology. Hindu practices are not Hindu. You know, they're for everyone. I feel that these are really to blame um, for that uh, sort of apathy to uh, the discrimination that Hindus generally are facing in the Western world. Well, that's, that's, that's a very, very important point. Uh, and uh, uh, Vibhutiji, coming to you on this, uh, I think somebody's mic is on. Can you please mute it? Uh, yeah. Uh, Vibhutiji? This question about uh, Hinduism not being a religion, being a way of life, in fact, even the Supreme Court is enunciated on that. Do you think that uh, we can position ourselves as a trans religion, a religion which is above all the other religions and can include the other religions if they behave? Uh, thank you for saying what you said, Sanjayji, because that's my belief. And I share that with my audiences and people here, my friends, American and all kind, that when they talk about so many gods in Hinduism and all that and a way of life, I tell them that we are, we have achieved elevated equilibrium in our life. Hindus have achieved elevated equilibrium because we have gone past the stage of dogmas and prayers in the way you prescribe it. Because if, if, if Vasudev Kutumkam has to be truth, is true, then it, it has to be accepted beyond a family scenario. But the truth of the thing is that we have one sun, one earth, same water, same air, same life-sustaining forces, and life continuous, continuous process. Men and women unite, a child is conceived. It takes nine months for a normal biological child to be born. Nobody's God has been able to alter that fact, the truth. So if the moment you begin to deal with the truth, you achieve elevated equilibrium. That's why we are spiritual. You're baiting the LGBTQ activists. No, no, no. I, what, what I'm saying is that we have to, and I'm, I think I, I totally agree with uh, uh, Marisa Ji, that we have to create our own narrative of our way of life. And that's what is important. And that is... It's, it's so, so very true in our faith. There is acceptance and respect for whatever you pray, whoever you pray, how you pray. There is a process for that. There is no right or wrong in our faith. We are not a binary yes or no, black or white. We have, we have an open society. If there is any faith that practices true liberalism, a true liberal way of life, it's us. It's Sanatana Dharma. Because it gives people, it encompasses true freedom for everybody, which is not available in other parts of the world. And I have said this many times, and I say this with respect. Where is the true freedom? If there is a mandate that X is the only way or Y is the only way, then where is the freedom to pray? What is the freedom, to re freedom of religion then? So we have to begin to question the authenticity and the rationale, that's what freedom of speech means for me, is to be able to inquire and inquire and inquire and question the validity 
of scientific principles. That's where innovations happen. So if Apple was falling on the ground, if the question had not come up, why on the ground? We would not have known many more things, scientific discoveries. That's where it happens. That's where we transform. That's where we evolve. It's only when we have the freedom of speech to question and, and recognize the reality. Science and technology is exposing the, what you call the dogma of doctrines in the religious practices the way they exist. And that's the threat which, the, is, which I think this article by this, 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 this nutcase, I will call him a nutcase, though I'm in, in America, I have tweeted about it, is talking about attacking Hindus because they fear us. They fear us. They fear that our ideology, our way of life is going to become more dominant, provided, there is a big provided for that. Are we able to carry our narrative forward or not? Is de it is dependent on that. Because the moment others define, then we def get defined by others, not by us. It's time for us to do that. And that's where we have to awaken on that regard. Absolutely. And there is Sri uh, raising his finger, obviously. Uh, and uh, you may respond to that. But I'll add just uh, one more little thing. Uh, uh, taking a cue also from Melisaji that... Uh, why should we be so apologetic about it? Exactly. If we are, if we are a superior trans religion, then so be it. Proclaim it. And why be apologetic and say that all religions are not the same? Obviously, they're not the same. I have a full uh, book coming up on that. And yesterday, we had a session with Professor Sabajka, and with a very interesting title, the Proof of Existence of God. Yes. And... The sum and substance of, the, of that uh, particular talk was that the Christian or the Abrahamic God cannot be proved. This existence cannot be proved. But the Vedic God's existence can be proved because it is scientific. So why don't we take that route and assert ourselves and tell this Mehdi Hassan, well, you be a cattle, and that's why, since you're a cattle, so you see, look at other people as cattle. <clears throat> I would like to take further what Vibhuti Jaji said, and I may have a little bit of a slightly radical way of looking at it. See, when I say I'm a Hindu, that's what others are calling me. Truthfully, I'm not a Hindu. I am a Sanatani. I'm a follower quite, of quite Sanatana right. Dharma. Now, if you look at this Sanatana Dharma, you know, it's, if you translate it, it says, you know, Sanatana is uh, eternal and, and Dharma, Dharma has many meanings. And the one that is sort of close to what describes a Dharma here is flow, Dharayati Iti Dharma. So eternal flow. We don't know when it started. We don't know when it is going to end. It's been there for a long time. And it is very scientific. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, uh, I don't know if Subhashji may have talked about this yesterday. If he did, just stop me right away. So, for instance, whenever we make a prayer to our God, we say that if I'm successful in this, I will break 108 coconuts or I will do 108 Sashtanga Namaskar or I will do, you know, the, the thing that you, we do in front of uh, Ganesha. We'll do 108 times. What is the significance of this number 108? It turns out that if you divide the distance between the sun and the earth and divide that by the diameter of the sun, that works out to 108. Likewise, if you divide the distance between the moon and the earth and divide it by the diameter of the moon, that also is 108. Likewise, you divide the diameter of the sun by the diameter of the earth, that too comes out to be 108. So there is this thing, Yath Pindeta If I may just uh, yeah, go supplement, ahead. Uh, it was Professor Subhash Kak uh, who first propounded that, according yes, to my Yes, 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 yes. I'm just regurgitating what I heard from him. And uh, yeah, th I, that's why I told you, right? If, if you already touched upon it, then uh, we, I please feel free no, to Not stop. in yesterday's talk. But that's yeah. what he had proposed a long time back. He has written a beautiful, what is called, uh, History of Indian Science. 
and that history of Indian science is there in the, one of these encyclopedias. And yes, that yes. has all these chapters. So, so here, here's an interesting thing, uh, Sanjay Ji. In Buddhism also, when they pray in front of Buddha, they say, if I am successful, I will take 108 bows. You know, they, they, they have a certain way to bow in front of Buddha. 108 again. So you see now that whatever we are talking about, the concepts and the precepts, these go back long ways and they, they get, you know, adapted in some form or the other into Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism even. I'll give you another example. Um, the, um, the concept of God, right? The concept of God, if you look at it, even in Sanatana Dharma, there's only one God. It's called Parabrahma. But Parabrahma is shapeless and formless. So for people to be able to pray, they had the uh, uh, luxury of defining your own God. If you look at it, there is still, you know, Adi Shankara defines it in Southern Saundarya Lahiri, Shiva Shaktya Yukto Bhavati, meaning like there is Shiva and there is Shakti. And, and this male-female component is there in everything that you see around us. For instance, on the earth, the earth is there, but unless you plant the seed, you don't get a crop. So, so the, the, this duality is defined and if you want to pray, you can have any manifestation. Shakti manifests itself or herself as Lakshmi, uh, Parvati and Saraswati. And these are the consorts of the three gods. See, and, and, and we can go on and on, even though you can say, oh, there are so many crores of gods, but essentially it all comes back to this, Sanjayji. It is a manifestation of Shakti that the person imagined. Also, one other point to uh, touch upon what Vibhutiji said, that Sanatana Dharma is a superset because there is a way called Bhakti Yoga where you can choose your personal God. And that personal God could be Allah, that personal God could be uh, Jesus Christ's Father because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, that could be God. So even that is covered in Sanatana Dharma. So this is very, very profound, very scientific. If you go start looking into it, you will find meaning of life and, and what exactly was it that the Rishis were after, what things they observed. Another simple thing I'll tell you, what is Om? Om is the sound of the energy that comes to us from the sun. You need to take the energy down to audio level, audible level, that is Om. Now, if you analyze what the Om shape is using a tonoscope, you get a pattern and that is the Shri Chakra. You see, these are all things that we are worshipping because of the same concept. Yat Pinde, Tat Brahmande. We are a part of this universe. And, and therefore, you know, whatever we are saying, there is a scientific reason for why we do a certain thing. Uh, uh, okay, Melissa uh, Ji, I'll just uh, another proposal before you. Yes. Um, so I was intrigued by the point about um, you know, a Christian God or Muslim God being part of Sanatra, I must admit, um, because I do I see them being diametrically opposite. Um, the, if, if, just one minute. I, I, I just uh, uh, try and uh, <clears throat> package it for you, the yeah. question. Uh, you see, unlike Christianity and... Uh, the Abrahamic religions, where there is uh, one God, there is uh, what is called, there is a binary, that God also has uh, Satan, whom the Bible <coughs> says that uh, is produced by God. Why? Nobody understands. So there's a duality right at the top. It is repeated by the Quran as well. And at the highest level, there is no duality as far as Sanatana Dharma is concerned. But then it uh, admits of layers because even in our psychology, the Indian psychology, what we call Vak, in the Indian Vak, we have four layers. And uh, those four layers, what we call Vakari, Madhyama, Pashanti, and Para. And this para always is this transcendental thing which does not exist in the Western neuroscience. But uh, I don't know, uh, I sent you the link, I don't know whether you watched that particular episode. That, uh, 
how the western neuroscience is now coming around to the view that it will have to go to the para stage if it goes to the fourth dimension then the christianity is finished because when carl jung was uh, looking at this and he found this and most of his studies are based on the indian psychological studies because it was necessary for him to consult with the church and with the church shut down the fourth dimension and that is why they stuck to three so even three is too much actually they should have stuck to two because everything is a binary the logic is binary the the, the book is a binary the God is a binary. Everything is a binary. So either this or that, right or wrong. I think Vibhuti uh, Ji said that we don't uh, go by right or wrong alone. Uh, in fact, again, Professor Subhash Kak himself has a theory of uh, what is called three-coty logic or the trinary logic, ternary logic, being the most optimum logic. And he's proved it mathematically. That mathematical proof is there. That, that I can furnish if you're interested. I, I, have a, <clears throat> I have a link with me. So here the concept is what is called Upadana or Karana. That is the Brahman. Then the next level is the Trinity, the actual destroyer, sustainer, and... Uh, the creator. And then at the third level are the devatas. And those devatas are basically the, 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 the nodes within our brains. And I have, in fact, I've done an episode on that, but why the uh, Bharatiya concept of uh, Brahman or Ishwar is far superior to the Christian logic is because the Christian God sits at this third level. And then competes with all these devatas. The 33 categories. Koti means not crore, but category, basically. So, uh, that is why a lot of people have this difficulty in uh, admitting that uh, uh, the, the um, Sanatana Dharma is a religion. So my proposition is that uh, why don't we call it a trans-religion and be uh, quite open about it, can be in your face. And can, I have been telling that and I haven't uh, received any brickbats as such. I've been telling everybody, you guys are at a much lower level. As Dalai Lama said, that uh, the Western psychology compared to the Indian psychology is kindergarten level. And of course, he said that very smilingly, but we can say that with a bit of contempt also, if you want, depending on whom, whom we are talking to. So why don't we consider that? Let's get the language correct, but language correct in a way that Sanatan Dharma is reflected accurately and not in a way where Sanatan Dharma is actually brought down to that level. Absolutely. So yes, I, think, I guess the big issue here, you're right, it's the language, because as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the media, the narratives around the world are set in English, a very um, deficient language um, and a very binary language when it comes to understanding religion. But at the moment, in today's world, um, when us Hindus are here in the UK or in the US, um, going about our daily business, um, we are still operating within that binary English framework that exists today. So a big effort needs to be made. You know, perhaps the government in India needs to be putting a, together a dedicated task force to understanding the Western mindset, how the English language works from the Westerners' point of view, and ultimately then how what steps to take to better um, represent and describe Sanatana Dharma or Hinduism to the world. Because at the moment, Sanatana Dharma to a Westerner means absolutely nothing. There is only the word Hindu, unfortunately. Um, and so the, the real danger comes then when people are saying, you know, Hinduism is not a religion, it's a way of life, because that's just laughable to the Westerner. That's, that's, that's a, we are a trans-religion, we are far superior. 
Yeah, exactly. Because in the way of life, um, I was last year collecting different examples in films and on the media that I was seeing of people using the, the phrase way of life. And it was, for example, um, I watched a documentary about um, uh, criminals in prison and the criminals there were saying crime is my way of life. Or I was watching another film with rock stars saying drug, drugs, booze and um, drugs, booze and sex. Rock and roll is my way of life. And so it is so insulting to my ears to hear people saying Hinduism is a way of life because you're demeaning Hinduism to that level. Um, so, yes. Okay, let's, let's agree to use transcendental religion. Yeah. <laughs> because if we say trans religion, it may carry some other meaning. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are a transcendental religion. Why can't we agree to that? And the word transcendental has been accepted as a part of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's meditation part of it. So, you know, yes, it is important yes. to be able to. But I, I just want to jump in here with uh, yes, two please. things here, which Melissa Ji had said about English language. This is very important because the right time to mention that. And after that, Melissa Ji can take it. There is a gentleman. Now we are yes. nearing the end of our yes. time. Oh, Jeffrey uh, Armstrong, those of you who know him, he was on our show. try to make it the last word. Yes, yes. Jeffrey Armstrong is, has, is writing a book right now. The 108 words that destroyed India and Hinduism. English words. And once the book is published, he's, he's, come, he's, he's agreed to come on our show and would like to talk about those 108 words. And language plays an important role. And yes, uh, so we have to we have to begin to uh, to talk about that how we are a way of life as an elevated equilibrium. We have achieved that. Our texts, our Vedas are all full of that part of it. Somewhere along the line, we became apathetic and got suppressed, and we have to emerge out of it. There is no other choice. And science and technology are our biggest support. And I'm I'm of that opinion that we have to use these instruments to further our argument and talk. And let's talk about it. Get to know and talk about it. I will leave it to Melissa Ji for the last few minutes. Um, just to talk on the, on the back about, you know, um, having a dedicated um, effort to um, approaching how we present ourselves in the English language. Um, so I think it was last year, uh, the UK government sent out a survey seeking feedback from the population on the definitions of the words religion, faith, and belief as per the usage of these words today. And so, you know, things like that, I feel, you know, the government in India or, you know, really um, important Hindu organizations need to be leaping upon those opportunities to be um, making sure that the, the Hindu um, angle is taken into it, it's considered in that. And yet all I really see, unfortunately, from the political leaders in India, um, from many of the Hindu gurus, is that they are um, actually <laughs> confusing things even more. They are promoting these things of Hinduism is not a religion, it's a way of life, that certain Hindu practices are not Hindu, that, and that... Um, you know, that you can be a Muslim and a Hindu at the same time or a Christian and a Hindu at the same time. Um, and even, you know, the, the topic of um, Hindus and Muslims, you know, having the same DNA. Um, and, you know, these are all things that are, from my perspective, are muddying the water, not only from a Westerner, as in us understanding what is a Hindu, um, but also, I believe, for Hindus themselves, it is confusing them um, and that then is leading to conversions is leading then to them not seeing discrimination when it is occurring to them it's leading to them um, uh, not practicing Hinduism as um, as strongly as they would be if they really understood you know what is a Hindu and what are the Hindu practices um, that seem to be watered down by this sort of um, neo-Hinduism, this universal Hinduism that seems to be being promoted instead of a much clearer, much more concise understanding of what is a Hindu. Um, so I'm much more in favor of that second one. And I feel that a proactive effort and a proactive, you know, a dedicated task force needs to be put in place to be addressing this problem as there are 
you know, potentially things like, you know, Twitter now potentially being having a being a place of greater free speech, we need to be seizing on these opportunities, but in the correct way. Otherwise, we really could be doing more damage than good. Um, so that, that would be my closing speech, that we need to um, be taking hold of this opportunity and, you know, doing it, doing something about it in a good way, not carrying on as we were, as we have been and confusing things even more, um, because that will just show the Hindu community to be confused and, um, uh, I, I, yeah, that will just lead to the breakup of India is ultimately what my greatest fear is, um, because Hinduism is what unites India. And so Hindus need to be um, clear in who they are, what they are um, for, Hindu, for India to survive. Sri, you wanted to have the last word, it seems. You're muted. You're muted. Unmute yourself. Yeah. Four things uh, that I would like to have as takeaways. Uh, again, two of them from Professor Shabash Kak's conversation. 108 karanas are what are there in Bharatanatyam. And in our body, there are 107 marmas in Ayurveda, which means ways in which you can ail. And the 108th one is when you have none. So again, there is this intimate binding with the number 108. So I can go on and on and on and on about this. I, 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 I lost my train basically, of thought. Basically, you can sum it up by saying that the Sanatan Dharma is basically science. And it is, that is completely why science. Is, yes, exactly. That is why you can uh, have a proof, scientific proof for the Sanatan concept of Ishwar or God, but you cannot yes, have a yes. proof for and, the, and the last two, concept. Yeah. Yeah, the thing came back. The last two is we can prove the existence of Lord Rama, who was one of the avatars, because the time has been established based on the writings of Valmiki. Same way we can prove the existence of Lord Krishna, again, from Vyasa's Mahabharata, where it's so accurate. We now have the dates for them. 3102 is when the war took place. Uh, 5874 BCE is when... Uh, the, the bridge was built for Rama to cross across to uh, fight uh, Ravana in uh, Lanka. And these things are matching in more than one way. They could they plug in the description of the uh, story by uh, Valmiki and you put it in planetarium software. He's, he describes it in constellation of stars and that matches up exactly on a different way. What they did was they looked at the bridge. They said the sea level has been rising a certain amount every year. And, and if you assume that the bridge was about a meter above the sea level. Uh, and see, now we are, we, are, we are digressing a little bit because we are no, talking I'm just about saying, so these, are, these are four things. And uh, so, uh, when we talk about Bhagwan Ram and Krishna, they are at level three. They are avatars. <laughs> that is true. So that we, is true. We, are, we are not talking about level three. We are not talking about the Quranic concept of uh, uh, having a partner to Allah. Partner to Allah is at level three. We're talking about level one. So let's stick to level one and elevate ourselves as uh, uh, it was initially stated. I think. <laughs> so, okay, we have a lot of questions. So I think uh, we quickly move over to the audience questions. 